0: Fluidity is my thing. I think I'm an earthbound mermaid. If there were a way to describe the way I dance, I have a lightness to my movement. Sometimes it's as if my feet don't even touch the ground. Marjorie Smart. In the ancient art of alchemy, an amalgamation of Egyptian, Greek, and Arabic philosophies, the supreme goal was the discovery of the philosopher's stone a material that was both solid and liquid, and could transform the essence of base metals into gold. With the passing of time, the creation of this masterwork eventually came to be known as squaring the circle. In modern philosophy, squaring the circle has come to mean unifying oneself in body, mind, and soul to be able to see from all angles at once. Instead of being bound to earth by arbitrary restriction and convention, one who squares the circle experiences a lightness in being and moving through the world, a fluidity that adapts and absorbs, flows and crystallizes. What is it that weighs you down and keeps you from such a lightness? Can you bring yourself to finally let it go? As our feet leave the ground, let me invite you to sit back, pour yourself a drink, and enjoy the show. I'm Rob Celtic, and this is Drinking and Dance at the End of the World. welcome back to Drinking and Dance at the End of the World. My next guest is a legend in the New York House community and thus the world. Originally hailing from Trenton, New Jersey, he has been a staple of NYC for decades training the next generation of dancers and leaders from his home in Brooklyn. He has been involved in the performing arts since he was very young and his first love was b-boying. In high school, he attended Mercer County uh, School of the Arts and studied modern dance. In 1993, he started studying Capoeira Angola with Mestre Joie Grande at the Capoeira Academy in NYC. He went on to fuse his breaking and modern dance styles with hip-hop and house, to create a very distinct system that he shares with students from all over the world. He is a founding member of the Dance Fusion family, and you've seen him perform in countless stage and screen works with the likes of Gwen Guthrie, Jazzy Jeff, and The Fresh Prince, Aretha Franklin, MC Light, Clubland, Pet Shop Boys, Foxy Brown, and Jay-Z, among many others. A dancer who blurs the line between dance and spiritual practice, he is both king and griot, sage and shaman. Furthermore, legend has it that in the year 621, he single-handedly defeated the 13 legendary monks of the Shaolin Temple,
1: and made
0: tea for them afterwards as a sign of goodwill. It is my distinct honor to welcome the venerable Seiku Hiro to this humble podcast. Seku, welcome to the show.
1: Wow, what an intro, brother! I'm humbled by that intro. <laughs> Listen to that. Like, who's this guy? <laughs> <laughs> he sounds amazing. This guy. Oh man, I mean, it's just your greatest hits,
0: but you know, I did my best.
1: I hope I pronounced oh, man,
0: well done. Uh, thank you so much. I hope I pronounced your uh, your capoeira teacher's name. I forgot to ask you before this this started. So
1: no, it's okay. João Granji, Granji. In Portuguese, the the D is mm. "g" sound, so we say Granji. But that well, was pretty good. People will get it.
0: Thank so, you. Muito obrigado. Yeah. Uh, so, what are you drinking today, Seiko?
1: I am mixing a cold blend of elderberry and ginger root. Because nice. it's hot, but I want a little spice.
0: I can definitely get behind that. Yeah. Um, and I uh, have chosen Brew Doctor's Clear Mind Kombucha. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I figured if I'm going to talk to Sekou, I need to have a clear mind to do so. So this was the closest I could get to it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So with that said, uh, I lift my glass to you, sir. Cheers to your health.
1: Cheers to your health. So
0: my first question is something I ask pretty much every dancer that comes on this show, um, which is who inspired you when you were coming up and who inspires you today?
1: When I was coming up, I was inspired by an array of different uh, iconic figures and images. Um, The original tap dancers, uh, you know, Gregory Hines was, you know, amazing. Absolutely. Uh, before Gregory Hines, I grew up watching old musicals and black and white movies, so, you know, I saw a lot of Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire. Mm. Um, Ginger Rogers, can't leave her out. No. Um, and, of course, you know, Bojangles, uh, you know, was instrumental watching Shirley Temple and Bojangles together when I was younger. Um, So those images of, you know, iconic... Black people, but also just people moving to to music to music rhythmically, mm-hmm. um, was always stimulating. Stimulating to me, um, television was an outlet. You know, we're the video generation. You're the YouTube, I guess, generation. You know, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. Well, it's fortunate and unfortunate. Glass is always half empty and half full at the same time, right? True. That's how you see it at the moment, but. There's always both sides. Uh, You know, Soul Train, lots of martial arts movies, Channel 5 on the weekends. Um, You know, Soul Train was very influential. But also, we would watch late-night video music box, New York Hot Tracks. These were the type of late-night video shows that we would kind of get our antenna, get that New York station in New Jersey, Mm -hmm. and watch the Rock City Crew, Diamond Breakers, New York City Breakers. Um, you know Mr. Wave Um, Soul Train was of course the key to the west coast we didn't know then you Mm. know but uh, Lockers Jeffrey Daniels um, you know and then later on Boogaloo Shrimp Shabadoo um, of course Poppin P all those iconic figures before you know their names watching them move on the screen was always inspirational to me Mm -hmm. so a lot of people. Ben Vereen, Debbie Allen. Uh, I mean, the list goes on. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, some people get mad at me when I ask the question because they like, man, there's, there's too many to mention and you're going to get
1: me in trouble. Well, I try to give you the <laughs> oldest that I can. Mm-hmm. That way it gives you an idea of, you know, the many, many... Uh, influences throughout my life yeah Um, so yeah and also you know I grew up in a a, a, you know black to say the least but growing up when I was younger you know you know movies like the cookout that's Mm -hmm. you know family reunions the barbershop that's our lifestyle you know before it's you know these entertainment you know iconic movies that's just you know different facets of our cultural lifestyle and language So I grew up like that. You know, the barbershop was where, you know, you got the elder men Mm -hmm. together and we talked about issues, whether they're political, social, you know, um, opinions about generational things. Yeah. You know, um, church, you know, I went to Sunday school in church with my grandmother. So those musics, that energy, you know, in different facets, you kind of receive a, a whole a uh, oh, ideology if you will mm. a whole lifestyle a library of different things
0: yeah so and that all builds to paint this rich tapestry or weave this rich yeah, tapestry it, ac-
1: yeah. it accumulates over time and you know you, you start you start to to expand on the inside. <laughs> I mean <laughs> you
0: <know>? makes sense.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah no it's it's funny how um church and the spiritual services like is a foundation for so many people like i didn't i didn't grow up in in the same tradition as a lot of people like i was a, a catholic for uh, the earlier part of my life so like we didn't get the the really joyful music or anything like that it was a lot of guilt a lot of this and that but the stained glass windows were cool and that was like the first time i ever got up in front of an audience and like read and like you know uh, kind of performed so I got into storytelling, at least.
1: Well, yeah, you know, there's different facets of it. You know, we get the storytelling from the minister or the preacher himself. Mm-hmm. You know, confessional is another part of storytelling. You know, he's telling the the, the you know, the things that are in the shadows about who you are. True. But the, th- the therapy is that there's somewhere for it to go. True. So despite the opinions of how it could be better or worse, there are still some core Rituals within those insti- those institutions now, yeah, that are really, you know, older than the religion themselves. If you ask me, you know, confidence, confidant, person that you, you know, your best friend, absolutely, uh, you know, uh, your mother, you know, though, you know, your imaginary friends. You're growing up, you know, these are different, all different aspects of how you deal with that subconscious part of yourself so you know those are just little clues you know absolutely um, you know uh coming you know at a certain part of the service in the, in the in the baptist and black church tradition you know it's always a time when you might call a visitor to church or come up to just silently have a moment mm. you know in front of the community where you say i'm not perfect you know i have done things that i'm not proud of you know yeah. you don't always have to voice them out loud but you know people come down that aisle and they you know they embrace that moment, and then they get to go into a deeper, you know, uh, religious community. Yeah, where they can be counseled. You know, yeah. So,
0: that I mean, a lot of people will like tear down religion nowadays, and I, while I don't belong to any one organized religion anymore, I always appreciated, at the heart of it, it was, at least from where I saw it, it was a, a, a way for a community to get together and explore a mystery, like the mystery of who we are, why we're here?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, we say it's a mystery only because we want more. Mm.
0: Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> you see what I mean? True. So, when we, but we only want one because we don't have what we need.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So then we, when we're deprived of what we need functionally and naturally, which is our right, then, you know, there's a you know deprivation. You know, so you start wanting, wanting, wanting. Then your wants become inflated. Now you want things that are exaggerated, that you don't even really need, just to fill the void of what you really need. And so, even when you get something, you go out and get the thing you don't need versus the thing you need. It's just <laughs> a, it's a, it's a, it's a constant chasing your tail. But that's how it's designed, mm-hmm. you know. But cultural practice, on the other hand helps you reflect on self and if you come from a culture that's old that the culture itself will hold itself accountable mm. <laughs> and it will it will always you know confront itself and so therefore there's a point in that culture for there to be a resolution for conflict mm. rather than a constant perpetuation of conflict. Just you know just conceptual yeah for those for those outside of you know uh this particular culture but for those who know we all know you know this resolve conflict we call it battling (laughs) but it's really debated yeah very spirited (laughs) debate (laughs) absolutely
0: Absolutely.
1: right everybody gets to say whatever they want to say how they need to say it and not be edited yeah i mean this is Man.
0: and it's it's great that you're speaking on it too because a, a big reason that this podcast is in existence is not only to paint a deeper portrait of some of the amazing dancers in this community but also to like kind of let guests of the culture like myself in on a little more of like you know what what the spirit of this 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 dance and this culture is and and so that that deeper understanding can breed further appreciation, which, you know, at least I hope that's what we're doing. Uh, otherwise, <laughs> uh, I <laughs> might right just now. be well, drinking and having a right laugh. <laughs> all,
1: right well, all of the above, yeah, yeah, all of the above. You know, there's room for it all, and I think that that's that's the culture. You know, that like when you when you come on, let's just just say on this point of view, this side, right? You're visiting. Mm-hmm. I bring you into my house, but I want you to be comfortable why because i want you to be who you are yeah you know whatever that is you have to know what that is and if you're in conflict with that then there's some of our translation issues right yeah because if you know where you come from and you know the value where you come from there's no competition you vibrate that you vibrate the love for that so when we connect we connect on that the confidence of our of our self-love so that When we meet, we look at each other with confidence, but we're also curious because we feel this energy, but now we're curious. And so now Mm -hmm. that conversation and correspondence happens. Um, If this culture, the cultural language that we're communicating through, I speak more fluent, Mm -hmm. and I'm a a native from the nation of the origin of it, just like any other culture, it comes with a language. It comes with a perspective of the planet. It It comes with a time scale, its own time dimension and time zone. It comes with its own vegetation. It comes with its own, you know, sea, ve- sea level calibration. It comes with the stars and the planets and the sun and all these things from where it is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And so when we meet, we meet in the middle. We meet in the middle. Right. But if you're coming over to something completely, meaning you're, you're, you're making a mecca, mm-hmm. you're migrating, you're visiting to an origin of a place, then that means that you're open to receive the unknown. mhm There's no room for at that moment when you know you don't know, you have to be wise enough to know what you know and to know what you don't know. But what happens is if people don't, a lot of times, a lot of visitors Mm -hmm. that I might come to their nation, but they're practicing my culture and my language.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Right? Yep. And they haven't really understood their own national identity, culture, and language well enough to for it to sow itself into the nature and the natural function of that place and space so that when I get there, I can automatically translate the values and receive the difference, but also receive the similarities. I can tune into it Mm. and go, oh, right away, go, hmm, and deal with what I see that's different and the same at the same time. Why? Because it becomes unique, Mm -hmm. but it also becomes familiar. Does that make sense? Right? Yeah. It's for example, here's a perfect example. Everywhere I go, if I go to a place outside of my origin, it has its own language. So what if I don't speak that language fluently, I'm going to be a little off kilter, a little off center. It's going to challenge my perception of myself. First, then it's gonna challenge my perception of my of me with the environment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now I've lost a sense. I've lost the sense of hearing translation. So what I need to do is refine my hearing to listening to what? Tone, scale, right? Yep. Intensity, melodic flow, whether it's sharp or soft. Which means active or passive, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: right? Whether it's neutral, all of those things I'll pick up. Now, in the environment, if I'm looking at automobiles, then I'll write that's the next thing. What side of the street? They lose traffic lights and signals. What's different between their signs and their symbols? Nothing. Really? (laughs) Right? Yeah. So now I go, oh, familiar in the unknown. So now I sink into the familiar to ground me mm-hmm. I look at the color of the lights they're the same I look at the color of the red sign which means either stop or caution or alert I look at the yellow sign which means yield right or caution mm-hmm. I look at the circle sign with the diagonal line between which means this is against the rules this is not allowed
0: mm-hmm.
1: do not enter do not do
0: mm-hmm.
1: see yeah whether the language says "sorte," or so, "right," mm-hmm. or, or 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 whatever the language might be, if it says "gentleman" or "damen," mm-hmm. <laughs> right,
0: you pick up I those cues. Looking,
1: right, I pick for I pick up the phonetic. Now I look at the characters, which were blessed for them to be English characters in most places.
0: Yeah,
1: interesting, right? Universal, familiar, but different. Now I just do what calibrate my vowel. Older languages are a e o u. No matter where I am, mm-hmm. then I come to America and it's a e i o u. <laughs>
0: English is weird.
1: Well, the sounds become longer, spaced, and are word equivalent at the same time, but mm-hmm. it kind of goes over our head. A is an a y e. E. As in EH, right? Yep. Or EYH, right? Mm -hmm. O, which is OOH. Or U, which is YOU. And sometimes Y, which is WHY. But it's all about how we hear it, right? Yeah. (laughs) So now (laughs) this is what, this is something, a code that activated in my neural network from just traveling frequently and being around different cultures which had a different song they sang. So now music is the way I translate language. Mm. So I listen to language like a music. Now whether the music is sharp or it flows, it has long spaces or tight ones, then I know where I'm at, either regionally I'm more northern or more central or more southern I'm more western or more eastern. All those things start to become familiar in how I Compile it, or use my compass, right? My A E I O U compass. Mm. Don't want to get too deep because I can go <laughs> on and on and on. I know. But I want to give you a glimpse. Mm. I want to give you a glimpse into one facet of the culture, which is code, coding. Mm. See?
0: Yeah.
1: And we shift codes, and we code switch all the time. As 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 as, as called African Americans, the people from Black culture, we code switch, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. So, in Chicago, there's a different dialect and they switch codes. In Detroit, it's a different dialect. We switch codes. California, Arizona, Seattle, we switch codes. Come to New York, switch codes. But if you go to the Bronx and Brooklyn and Manhattan, switch codes. <laughs> go to Queens, Staten, switch codes using the same language. Save me some. Yeah. Yeah. So, switch codes. So these are the types of dialects we switch on the dial. When you go down south, slows down, get a little longer, but start get a little shallow, too. See? <laughs> yep. Right, but I'm Southern folk too because my, my grandmama, then. them. Yeah. Oh, I to say my big mama. Yeah. Right. Or my mother.
0: <laughs> your your Stretch
1: back. Right, right. That's my great grandmother. So, so these are all ways of using the language. So hip hop or rhythm and poetry we call rap mm-hmm. right is a language and it's a code and you have to switch the dial to be able to decode to get information
0: so do you ever experience like dissonance when you're going to oh, another absolutely. culture and they're they're trying to speak your language back at you absolutely. but they don't they don't have that grounding like how do you it's, how do you cope with that it's a, a that?
1: constant dissonance it's a constant dissonance mm. because they're 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 not cognate mm-hmm. so they're dissonant. They're dissonant, but that makes them delusional. They have a disillusion. Mm. It makes them delusional because they don't realize it. But they because they're industrialized, they're institutionalized with my language. Yeah, so they're speaking institutional version of my language, not realizing. So it's like I learned Spanish, right? But I only learned it in English accent. <laughs> so I say Joama Joama Blah blah. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. That's how hip that dialect which we can say hip hop speak or rhythm and poetry language. Mm-hmm. Right? Ebony phonics. Yep. Yeah. When it's talked back when it's when it's spoken back, it's what it's it's beyond watered down. Yeah. Yeah. So the only way for them to calibrate it and tune it up is to interact directly. And then we can have a correction. And then they go, oh. And then they can wrap their mind and orientation around it because it has multiple meaning. It's not one dimension. Yeah. They, they can take, now they can, now they can put themselves into the subjective side of it and go, wow. Hmm. Yeah. See? But they're not, they're not in the subjective side of it. They're walking around as an object. Mm-hmm. They're not realizing it, right? No. Right. So and so I'm not I'm not faulting them. It. It's my it's my it's my kingdom. So I'm supposed to translate. I'm supposed to be able to lead you to the water, but also right, mm. give you guidance. When you taste it, how does it taste? Tastes like this a little bit, little hints of right. So I guide you in the self, and then now we're talking. You just don't realize that. So I my way of guiding is through self awareness. Mm. And then self accountability is easy. There's some conflict, of course. We're all in conflict. (laughs) Especially (laughs) now. Yeah. But yeah, but we're always in it. Yeah. Because the system is 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 a conflict generator. Absolutely. When you say one thing, it automatically, it automatically gives birth to his opposition, right before you, right in front of your eyes. But the reason is hidden in plain sight, because there's no reasoning. There's no reason. There's just reaction. Yeah, I remember. Also- if you were to question, if you were to question the reaction, there's no reason see. Yeah. I'm sorry to cut you oh, off. Oh, no, no. There. It's, it's yeah. okay. It
0: happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. No, it just made me yeah. think, because uh, I remember um, the last time I was in New York, I was able to train with you in your apartment. Um, and I remember there was another student there. And I don't remember why, but she had gotten mm-hmm. like very frustrated over a point you were trying to teach her. And right. I, I got to sit back and watch as you kind of like, just kind of took her out of the uh, the frustrated energy she was in and just kind of shifted modes, you know, like um, mm-hmm. it, it's hard to like put into words what I was watching, but like it was very clear, like you had kind of like almost physically taken her out of that space into a place where she could have been more receptive because like she didn't realize what she was doing to herself, but like the more frustrated she got, the more closed off she became.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Right, and so that's really self self recovery. I like to call it, mm-hmm. right? Because you don't discover, you uncover. Yeah, you uncover what's what what's already exists. Mm. So it's just potential. It's all potential,
0: right? Yeah, it's
1: all potential. So that means it already exists potentially, <laughs> right? <laughs> That doesn't make it cease to exist. That makes it a part of existence. So what it has to do is be possible mm-hmm. for it to, to exist. Yeah. Right? So what I all I do is because what happens is frustration is normal and natural. Yeah. To growth, it's a requirement to growth. Growth, in its conception, means not knowing. Growth in its conception means discomfort, uncomfortable. So you have to get under comfort and be able, right? Right. You have to disassociate yourself from what you're accustomed to, to grow. That's going to mean it's uncomfortable. I use examples like teething. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do examples of, you know, just growing. <laughs> yeah, growing happens in the sleep. Yeah. Right? In the subconscious, in the rest, digest, and repair mode of the body when we sleep. You have to be mellow to grow. You have to be relaxed. You have to be at ease to grow. If you're stressed, there's no growth. Right? Yeah. Right? So it's not that stress doesn't exist, but what happens is you get to the gate of half empty, half full. Mm -hmm. So that means half and half. Mm. Mm. So there's you inner and you outer half and half. So your muscles can be stressed, but your breath is not. Your being is not. Sometimes you need to put stress on your body and your muscles for it to grow, right? Or well put they call they say they place say pain, no pain, no gain. So pain is where the growth is.
0: Or you put pressure on the uh, the coal to turn it into diamond,
1: right? Which is gotta be uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, to <laughs> say the least, yeah. <laughs> but the, di- the diamond transforms and then it what? It becomes a crystal. Mm-hmm. It's not just a diamond. The diamond is the title of that particular crystal because it's clear crystal. Mm. But they're all other type of that crystal. Onyx is a crystal. Right? True. Right. We call a rock, but they're all crystal. Right? Yeah. Yeah, you what? How do you make glass? Glass is crystal clear. What what element is transformed alchemically to make glass? Since you brought up coal into diamond, well, uh,
0: (laughs) sand becomes glass. Ah,
1: My man, and what color sand? Uh, golden, light brown, tan, golden. Right, all these describe this particular right. And what do you do with it? In order to do it, you have to what?
0: Um, Melt it with intense heat. Ah. Break it down.
1: Fuse, fuel, fire, right? Mm. Right. (coughs) So isn't that what the earth does? When it makes itself, when it makes new land, when it renews itself, Mm -hmm. you get new land. Right? When that land is fresh, you go plant seeds in anything somebody going over there okay we need to throw these seeds on this fresh volcanic rich earth (laughs) for trees to grow for a life to exist does that happen
0: uh no it's not intentional by man
1: we have nothing to do with it correct
0: yeah
1: right that's nature it doesn't take our actions for nature to spring forth new life Or we call it new life. Right? It's renewed. The earth is not new. (laughs) (laughs) Right? It's coming out of the earth, correct? Yeah. So, uh, why do we call it new? It's renewed. It's regenerated. It's recycled. We say all these terms a site, we recycle. Rejuvenate. So that means, right, a site, a season, two words, a sea, and a sun. Recycle. We call that see suns, right? Mm-hmm. Because we see suns. Different positions of the sun. Different sides of the sun. And moon, which is the sun. You only see it because of the sun. Right? Yep. Now, this
0: is um, what you're describing right now, like is very similar to some things we've talked about in the past. <laughs> and I've always yeah. tripped out about like your ability to um, break down words in such a way. And I was trying to like before we had this interview, I was trying to think about like what it reminded me of, um, like the effect of the conversation. And I hope this I, I hope you don't take offense to it, but the the closest I could I could ever come to describing the feeling of having talks like this with you was, um, when I tried psychedelic mushrooms, <laughs> the way my brain started. Cause the, the, the function, <laughs> the function of psilocybin and, um, and why they, they're starting to use it to treat depression and all these other things,
1: oh, bro. You're preaching to the choir. Yeah. Well, yeah, pre- <laughs> I figured, bro. New York city club scene. Bro. Yeah. You say anything else.
0: <laughs> but I mean, like for those who don't know, it it, yeah. it, it re- yeah. the the power of it is that it, it rearranges like uh, how your neurons communicate with each other. So you're you're switching um, around the way your brain communicates with itself. And so mm. these discussions, like sometimes, if I try and like focus on any one particular point, like uh, I'll get lost. So I have to have this soft focus. And it it long story short, it's the closest yeah. I've ever come to a trip while being sober. I guess. (laughs) That's what I'm saying.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, you know, every time you speak, it takes a breath. Mm -hmm. We all know that breathing can, you know, can induce certain effects in your neurological system and the chemical factory in your body. Right? Yeah. that's called biology and physiology. And those two things, create have a chemistry, right? Through the neurology. Mm-hmm. Right, so that's where the chemicals are that we call cannabinoid receptors today, yep. which is why they've now decriminalized cannabis. We never connect the word "canine" or canine or canine mm-hmm. to cannibus, yeah, mm-hmm. or, or caninite. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So these are just etymological relationships to give you national identity of a word because every word has a national identity. It comes from a region of the world based on how old it is. Right. Mm -hmm. And when we look in a dictionary, we see one word has multiple definitions and one word has multiple national or uh, global contributions from different regions of the world, Mm. right? Yeah. Like English has German in it, has Spanish in it, has French in it, right? Has Dutch in it. (laughs) It has all these influences, you know? Yeah. Anglo is Angolander, but Saxon is French. Mm. So when you say Anglo-Saxon, that's really two cultural families, and that's why they put a hyphen, mm. Anglo-Saxon. The Saxon in history brought scripts and scribes to the Angolander or the Anglo. So that means reading and writing in language. Mm. So that's why they're relatives. And language was passed like this. You ever hear the 500 monkey theory? Where one monkey starts <laughs> cleaning off a vegetable of fruit one day and the next day all monkeys are doing it. Oh, no,
0: I hadn't heard of that one. (laughs)
1: Uh, Yeah, there's just scientific studies and uh, paraphrasing on it, but basically that's the the theory and the conclusion by observation Mm -hmm. of natural intelligence and environmental effects, you know? So, you know, that's just... Language is important because, again, in the, in the word language, if you take the word lan away, mm-hmm. what do you have left, left? How would you pronounce it then? Mm-hmm. Gage. Yeah. So isn't it always gauges? Lan gauges, which, mm-hmm. are, which are tools of measurement, right? Yeah. Gage, a gauge. A gauge. You can have a gauge that measures temperature, temperature gauge. You can have a gauge that measures rhythm and right tempo. We say time Mm -hmm. gauge or -hmm. clock. You can have a gauge that measures sound. Right? Yeah. Right. So your body's a gauge too. (laughs) <laughs>
0: see now we've gotten into that effect i'm kind of yes. looking at the walls expecting them to melt but i'm digging it i love it this is one of the things i've missed about talking with you over the uh the last few years um in my research since we were talking about um very briefly like this dissonance that you've experienced uh with people that try and speak the language to you that don't come from the culture uh it actually mm-hmm. got me um thinking about how i listened to your interview on episode 19 of the goodfoot podcast which shout out to q mm-hmm. um and in it q describes coming into a white space at a university where they were doing a hip-hop class and being struck by the paradox of these people enjoying a gift of black culture while at the same time black people and black lives continue to be devalued and brutalized by white society Six months after that interview, the nation was hit by the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, uh, most notably George Floyd. We got Jacob Blake's attack uh, last week by police. So as an elder who's seen more than his fair share over the years, are there any thoughts you'd like to share with the youth of the community, particularly young black dancers that are trying to find their own way of protesting and fighting this injustice?
1: I would say the biggest protest and the most revolutionary act that you could ever uh, do Mm -hmm. is be who you are and celebrate who you are. Mm. Not just what they have taught you about yourself, but go beyond that and go back into your past as deep as you can. Go beyond your national identity, go to your genetic identity, go to all sides of yourself, understand that you're valuable and you're the most valuable thing here. You are literally what's still being traded and bartered Mm. actually right now. And that's why when you become self-aware, you start claiming what's yours. You start claiming what you own, your intellectual property, your soul, your spirit, all your arts, which are facts. Then you start asking and going to museums and asking them and creating campaigns for giving back artifacts. See, Mm. but this is, this is really the real issue. If you become conscious, you become self independent. You liberate self. Yeah. It's really about the conscious awareness and how you imagine self And the images around you are constantly putting you in a position to hate yourself and to wanna escape and run away. So it's making us catatonic. It's making us numb. Mm. Use your music, listen to the contributions of all your people. There's so much hidden in plain sight that only you through your genealogy can decode. No one else can. Mm. That's how unique you are. how unique every individual on the earth is but for black people this is very important to understand Mm. for self for self-resurrection there's so much misinformation about who we actually really are on this earth but look around you you look like you're looking up from the bottom of the ocean but actually Everything around you, you built, you taught, you still teach, and you still have empathy to teach humanity what humanity really is. You only defend yourself, put yourself in a position where you don't have to defend yourself anymore. Live and be who you are, fearless. You don't have to respond to hate. Mm. You just eradicate it in yourself. If there's nowhere for hate to be pushed and kept and left or dumped, hate has to deal with itself. Love means self-love. That means completely stop looking at ourselves as competition. We've been conditioned to believe there can only be one <laughs> no, that's not true. That was designed just for you. There can be many, many. There can only be one you. Mm. Speaking and on that note I'm gonna <laughs> keep it, you know, because this is can go on for days and weeks. Uh, You know, this is Saga of a Black Man, you know, episode, you know, how many hundreds of thousands of years. Yeah. (laughs) Chapter, how many hundreds of thousands of years. Nothing new under the sun, as they say. I'm just contributing to the book. And
0: that's that's what I really appreciate. And I I thank you for, for being willing to do that
1: because one. Well, I thank you for opening up the, you know. The platform, man, you know, just let me just say something to your audience about my personal experience about you, because I met you in the West Coast, right? On Talia and Anthony's couch, right? True, true. (laughs) And you were a very inquisitive soul even then, from the first day, just from the conversations we had, you know, and that's like my family, and they don't look like me at all, correct? No,
0: but you can tell it's family.
1: But that's my babies, (laughs) you understand? And that's how the spirit and the real soul works, yeah. yeah. Because they don't claim to be white people; they claim to be human, which means they have they resonate at the hue of pink, light red. Mm-hmm. Possibly can turn brown with a little burnt orange, yeah. Because they have melanin too. Yeah. See, so we've gone beyond that. We've 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 connected in the heart and soul. So as far as you're concerned, I've always felt that curiosity was from a genuine place. You genuinely wanted to know because you knew what you knew, which gave you the wisdom to know what you didn't. Mm. And that's that's who you are. You can only appreciate an individual like that. So I just want to give you a shout out, man. And give you props for continuing to be not only a visitor, let's clarify, Mm. a practitioner. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Half empty, half yeah. full. It's two sides,
0: right? Yeah. Right. Well, I I'd very much appreciate that. And and training with you was the closest thing I've come to a long time and being back in my old martial arts uh dojo. And that's how I initially like you can ask King Charles, my mentor, uh, who you're close with, obviously. But that's oh, yeah. that's how we started. That's, that's how we started connecting with me that uh on our first lesson. He found out I did martial arts and I love kung fu movies and then he's he took mm-hmm. on the role of Sifu you know and then mm-hmm. that continued yep. uh, with lessons with you so i always i always wanted yeah. to ask cuz it, it you could very much tell in the way that you trained people in your meditative practices in that blending of spirituality and physicality that you had that <laughs> influence in the martial arts. But also like mm-hmm. for anyone who has never been into Seku's apartment, which I guess for the majority of the world. But um, he's got <laughs> patterns like drawn out on the floor, which very much resemble like the Sephiroth from Kabbalah, like very sacred geometry. So it's very much a, a spiritual and a physical and a mental practice, like all blended into one. So I always, I always well, yeah, wondered about your influences yeah. regarding spirituality, martial arts, et cetera, with your practice.
1: Well, that's yeah, an interesting story. I have to take you back to my childhood. Um, I come from a Baptist Christian, you know, belief system inherited through my grandmother, who mm-hmm. comes from a tribe of 15 children. Shout out to my great-grandmother and my grandmother, the Rest in Paradise. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandmother was number 13 and 15. Um, fourteen all born at born at home. Only one born in the hospital. Um, they they were you know sharecroppers, and so oh, wow. my great grandmother's yeah, my great grandmother when she was a child was technically still around yeah when slavery was still legal, and so my great grandmother was my great great grandmother was a slave and. So, you know, they don't talk about that side of the history too much, but the conditioning comes up. You know? Yeah. Um, so that's really my influence. And my grandmother was very, uh, she was an Eastern star, which is, you know, uh, part of the Masonic side of uh, spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. My my grandmother's uh, partner who wasn't my paternal grandfather, but was the one male influence consistent in my life with him. Yeah. Um, he was a Mason. So they always went to the lodges mm. on the weekends and that's where they did their cabarets and all of the black cultural context within the spiritual practice through the lodge Ritual and sermon. So that was that other side. Yeah, that was the see They weren't allowed to really share that information with us, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so... Uh, so growing up in the church and, and and music being a big part of my spirituality, but also you know music, all types of music. You know, my grandmother wasn't the type that you know said I couldn't listen to any type of music because she only wanted me to listen to spirituals. Mm. She understood the contribution of music through our uh, our culture. So, you know, that's really where I get my spiritual influences. My mother, after I was born, I was adopted. Mm-hmm. My mother had me at 19, um, and so my paternal father wasn't in the picture. My mother got married, was adopted, given the last name Williams, and they were Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm. So I was really raised half of my life from like, let's say, two to seven, Jehovah's Witnesses. So I didn't celebrate birthdays, holidays, anything. Um, it was books, writing, drawing, any, any type of self-generated creativity we were allowed to do. So me and my brother would make action figures with our, our hands. Yo. Um, we had names for our left and our right side. We each each hand was a character. We played like army men that way. We, we used pencils to make patterns and we built houses out of cards instead of, you know, we barely, very rarely got gifts. We weren't allowed to have things, but any functional thing that my parent had. You know, they might have a checkerboard or they might have a backgammon game or they might have Scrabble. Little things here and there that they play, you might get access to and play freely with. So even board games, I'm, I'm, you know, it wasn't, it was non-conventional. Yeah. A lot of things in terms of creativity. My, my stepfather was a muralist, amazing visual artist. He, he, he drew by hand with a chalk and he could also paint. So that's really his passion. He would do that on the on the side. That's what he really wanted to do. But he was forced to work, you know, manual labor. Mm, yeah. So he was never able to really be an artist. But I was influenced by him. So whenever he draw, that's what I would do. I, I always thought he was my father. I didn't know the difference when I was young. So I would hang out with him as he drew. And I would use crayon. I would draw on the wall. So I never really used paper when I was a kid. I always used the wall because he was mirrorless so he would always just use his chalk he'd do an elaborate piece on a piece of paper with his pen Mm -hmm. with his pencil he always drew a pencil he would do light and dark pencil really intricate shadowing it's amazing and then he would just do it with charcoal on the wall and then after that he would just erase it but I would never see him erase it so I would think it was open license on every wall so when I was young and then my (laughs) brother came you know when he was like one years old he would just or two he would follow behind me Mm -hmm. He's three years younger than me. Um, so, you know, that was my, my little partner. Um, so that was how our creative outlet. Once my mother and him separated, about I guess about, uh, I want to say, it was starting to get rough between seven and eight. So between eight and nine, they separated. My mother separated from him and took me down south. Mm. So we, I remember we got an the Amtrak train and we went all the way down south on the train and stayed with my relative down south for the whole summer. So that's when I met all my cousins and my grandmother's sisters and all of that side of the family when I was really young. So then I got their accent, the Gullah side of the culture. They were from Macon, Georgia, but they were from an off coast island called Tybee. Mm, okay. It does this. They've changed the name of it since. I don't know what it's called. Um. Yeah, which is interesting because Ty and Anthea are from Pittsburgh. That's how it's really said, but they say Pitts. Uh-huh. And they, te- they, te- they, they speak Pittsburghian, which is kind of like a, a, a slang language, an older language mm-hmm. that's associated with the native. <laughs> right? No way. Uh, yeah, but they don't, you know, it's a lot of history there that's like hidden in that because uh, Pittsburgh, most people migrated from a lot of the North Virginia, West Virginia areas. So you get that coastal. It's interesting, but there are a lot of those documents you got to dig for.
0: you know? Oh, of course. But, the uh, good history is yeah, always me, hidden.
1: Yeah, let me stay, stay on track. So anyway, <laughs> that's really my spiritual influence. So because I went through so many religions, by the time I, you know, my mother separated, we moved with my grandmother mm-hmm. for a period of time. So it was back to the gospel church. So that was between like 11, 10 and 14. So at the age of 13, I was like, I'm done, grandma. I'm not going back to church, you know. I am I'm asking questions like why does the church look so good but the whole block looks terrible? The only clean thing on the block is the church. Belly question. There's little questions like this, and my grandma'll be looking at me like, where'd that come from? Like I could see she was confused by these answers. <laughs> I'll be in Sunday school and they would say, you know, yeah, man, you know, the woman came from Adam's rib, and that's how God created. I'll be like, but why don't rib, rib? I'm like, rib, don't that mean this in between the rib, the stomach, so I picked up my shirt and I looked at my belly button. I was like, "I was like, I don't understand, teacher. We come from a woman. Why don't we still come from men?" It was like, "What?" <laughs> <I> was like, <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even understand what I was asking. Yeah. I was thinking about birth. Yeah, like, okay, if that's how the woman was created. You're talking about birth, right? So, at like th- you know, 12, 13, I was just had questions. Why? Because I had other different perspectives on religion from different religious sects. So by the time you know there was no holidays seven day event is Jehovah's Witness Mm -hmm. you know Um, so you know you're like okay you're then thrusting to this different thing so you have questions. I'm like okay what's the difference but they're looking at like I'm a troublemaker but I'm just trying to know the difference (laughs) but it's coming out that there's flaws in this matrix but yeah. I didn't make them. You yeah. know what I mean? I'm not even, But they'll even blame conscious. you for it. Right. But I'm not even conscious enough to know that I've caught the flaws in the Matrix yet. I'm just like, <laughs> something's not, it's weird. You know, little things. When you're a kid, you're just like, yeah. in between the cracks. You yeah. don't always fit in. You find spaces in the middle and go, well, look, I see that. And you go, no, no, don't look at that. Look here. Focus (laughs) on this. And you're like, but I see this. But it's right over there. there. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And they're like, what are you looking at? I don't
0: see that. you're like, you can't see that? (laughs) Right? The emperor doesn't wear clothes. Uh, He's naked.
1: Right. (laughs) (laughs) So those are little clues that I think just creator, higher intelligence, you know, mm-hmm. natural intelligence, the genie in all of us, genius, all, the genie in all of us, or the genius in all of us, mm-hmm. was just speaking to me in my head. But it was too big for my little body. I couldn't really catch up to these things yet. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Like, your consciousness is huge, but you're in this little body, and you're like, you don't see that? <sighs> so like, what? Because it's like, it's almost like their consciousness is not as big as yours, kind of. You feel me? Yeah. Well, they had to cut themselves off from it. Well, it's interesting. And I, I'm, I'm kind of like calling back recalling my child because mm-hmm. I'm in that space when I'm speaking to you. I kind of got to venture back into how it felt, you know? Of course. And so it's interesting. So then I turn 13 and I get received knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, I get the supreme mathematics. And I become a five percenter. I, you know, I have a, I have an enlightener. Mm. And the an enlightener is making sure that I'm, you know, I'm memorizing my lessons. And you know, I could quote the mathematics of the day, mm. the month, the year. Mm. I could quote how much the distance the sun was from the earth, how much the distance the moon was from the earth, how much the distance the moon was from the sun, how much the, the how much was the distance. You know, what's the sum of all their, their distances? Yeah. You know, I had to memorize all this stuff, dude. If I didn't, I got beat up, bro. Yo. I was disciplined, bro. <laughs> there was consequences for that, bro. Man. I couldn't be stupid. Uh-huh. I had to be smart. And if I wasn't smart in my culture and my birthright, yeah. then I, there was discipline. It wasn't like I always got beat up. But they might say, "You put your hands in the air. Tighten up your stomach. You got to take a hundred punches to your abs. Don't cry. You know what I mean? Put your arm out. What's your, it's your birthday. You got to take punches from everybody, the amount of your birthday. When your birthday comes. So you wouldn't get it right away. They wait till your birthday. Oof. And you're forgetting. And that's adding up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So they get you like mathematically. It was weird. It was bugged out, bro. It, it, it just totally like blew my brain cells out and exploded them into like my fractals and then it collapsed back into a new person. Like, what the heck is happening? And I stay back in the seventh grade, you know, just you know, pressure, peer pressure, mm-hmm. trying to fit in. Mm-hmm. You know, drugs, weed, crack is coming in, introduced. I'm watching people doing all types of stuff in the playground, and I'm like, I don't want to go back to school because it's like, I don't, I don't believe in it. It's just like I'm, I'm sleeping, I'm tired. I'm, I, I want to dance. I want to, want to, I want to I wanna rap. I want to do beatbox in the hallways. I don't want to do this, you know? Yeah. And so I want to be creative. I want to be, you know, express myself.
0: I think we can all get behind
1: that. And then when I got enlightenment, that made me, you know, better at all of it at once. Mm. You know, and so that's when I became conscious and realized, you know, and all in in between all of this, I'm light skinned and very light. People are speaking Spanish to me. They think I'm Puerto Rican or Dominican, and I'm like, no, I'm black. Yeah. People are speaking French to me, thinking I'm Creole, I'm a Haitian. No, I'm black. Yeah. People, you know, people are thinking you have white, but no, I'm black. <laughs> you know, so I'm also dealing with that the colorism even within the identity of being black and being self yeah, identifying as black. Looking at the black people you come from, knowing who you are, but knowing something is a little different and not knowing why. Yeah. You know. Um, and all of that comes into play. So, you know, I just had that old school essence around me. My grandmother was very nonconventional, you know, so she allowed me to express myself. She saw what was in the, in the environment. So when I came home wanting to wrap out my frustrations mm-hmm. or listen to something that was being creative, she didn't understand it. She told me to turn it down and yell at me, but she wouldn't tell me to stop doing it we and my best friend, Kafele, shout out to my bro, would go in my basement after school and, and do, we do, do we do our homework during lunch, right? Yeah. Doing like gym, you know, things like that to just make sure we didn't have homework when we got home so we could break for five, six hours every day. And on the weekends, we woke up early and we did it first thing in the morning, ate lunch, then did it first thing in the afternoon. Then we went and played ball and all these other things, and then came back and was breaking at night late night we did that for years man from probably like 11 to like 17 bro nonstop. Nah, stop not even from like 10 to like 17 like seven years straight before i even looked up <laughs> at anything else yo and was watching kung fu and martial arts so i knew that breaking was for us because i studied taekwondo first mm-hmm. and the discipline the trial and error, one thing over and over again, perfecting one thing at a time was the, the exact same mirror of training and discipline. So we associated what we saw in the temples and in training one move at a time, one technique at a time. That's how you train break it, move for move. So we were like, all right, this is Kung Fu. This is our Kung Fu. We didn't say it out loud like this is Kung Fu. We just knew it inside our heads. We would say it to ourselves. So we would watch Channel 5 and watch Beach Street at the same time, like comparing stuff, you know? Well, it's amazing that you would say it because uh,
0: or a- at a young age, you would think that because I used to I studied Kung Fu for years and I was taught that the, the actual term Kung Fu, like it, it just means it's simply put the way. Yeah. So it was the way of martial arts in that context, but anything could be your kung fu, like photography, if that was your thing, your pursuit, hey, your way of...
1: is kung fu. Exactly. That was your <laughs> kung fu. So dance right. was my kung fu. Exactly. And dance was your kung fu. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> So I started out breaking. Now, let's fast forward. I, I start going to New York to party and hang out in, in the village. And, you know, East village and all around. And I run into this dark skin dude who I look at him in the park. And he looks like he's breaking. So I walk up to him. And I said, yo, man, it's breaking. You know, you dope. You know, you fresh. You know, you really nice with it. You mm. know, he was like, he said, disculpa. And I was like, what? He said, "The disculpa. I was like, uh-huh. what? He was like, oh, I don't speak English. I was like, oh, snap. I was like, that's breaking. He was like, I was like. I say, he's a hippie, hoppy? No, 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 no. He said, capoeira. He said, capoeira, Paish, capoeira. And I was like, yeah, he said, I speak a little English, not too much. And <laughs> my boy, who would already, Jose Figueroa, who already knew, you know, knew, mm-hmm. you know, was like, oh, okay. And then I was like, oh, they're doing a batizado at Ombrian school. So we all walked over there after that. And I was like, yo, he started breaking down capoeira for me because he had already been training under... John Grungy, when he was in Harlem the first time, so mm. I went over there and saw Capueta in the Lower East Side, right, mm-hmm. in Obrino School at the time. He, John Grungy just arrived to America, so he was like 60 years old. Then this man was moving like he was 25. Love it. And I mean, he was doing cartwheels, he was doing splits, he was doing headbutts, he was doing hopachajayas. I mean. Dude, he was moving like so smooth and he looked lean and mean at 60. And I was like, yo, who is that dude? (laughs) I was looking at all the dudes. They was flying around the room and sliding on their head and spinning backwards on their hand and doing all this stuff. And I was like, whoa. But when I saw that old dude, I was Mm -hmm. like, wait a minute. Who is that dude? Because I'd already been partying in the loft. I'd already seen older people dance and do things and was amazed by that. So when I saw him doing the oldest side of all of this acrobatic stuff i was like who's that guy and i was like that's Sean, that's Mr. John grungy i was like really he's like yeah he's the grandmaster i was like oh snap so then i started watching him play everybody and he was catching everybody they was doing all that acrobatic stuff and he was but his game science was so accurate he was catching them in the air he was catching them on the ground they was yep. falling in he was tripping them he was setting them up. They was running into his foot sometimes. They couldn't even see how they was getting caught. And he was doing it real subtle and soft. He wasn't trying to hurt anybody. So yeah. it was like, chess. I was like, yo. And then I watched all the amazing play- other players. Camisa, Jolom, uh, the guy named Bujasha at the time, Cobrinha, Massa, Moraes. They were all there, bro. Uh, Negogato, and that was who Jose was really training with, figured out and them guys, and I was watching all these amazing movies. And I was like, I'm hooked. So my first class was with Jerome, and it was as now. And I was like, he trained us so hard. But I was like, okay, this is great. But I was like, where's that old guy? And he was like, yo, I messed up, i he's, uh, he's here, he's there. So I ran into some brothers who trained with him. Mm-hmm. And then Jose and Uma, I knew where he trained, because they trained with him. So they took me to the school, and I was his student ever since, man. And Capoele changed my life. It changed my dance. When I saw everybody in the hardout, in the circle, and they played the jogo, the game, it was like they were battling or, or like breakers moving together at the same time. I was like, wait a minute, we don't move like that. We move, move, move one at a time. Or I was like, well, wait a minute, they moving together at the same time. Mm. And they look like they're kind of fighting, but they're not. It's like up rocking, but not. So I was just comparing it to breaking already like, whoa, this must be the ancient breaking. I'm I was like, "Whoa!"
0: Not too far off, actually.
1: Yeah. Right. Well, that was just, you know, the conversation in my head. Yeah. You know, trying to use something that I was familiar with, trying to digest something that I've never seen before. <laughs> <You know? laughs> of course. Um, and after that, I was I was totally immersed into a couple of the culturally um, I could had spent more time. You know, it was a you know, it was a battle between the club scene and teaching and traveling and hip hop in mm. the house realm versus, you know, totally committing to this lifestyle and this pursuit to be a representative of, you know, the Capoeira Giangola tradition. Yeah. So I was torn between the two and I did as much as I could to maintain both, but you know my children, I had a young family. Um uh, entertainment was the you know, dance specifically was the art I was deciding to use creatively. And so it was my first love. So I chose uh the dance for that time being. But Capoeira became such a part of me spiritually that I've always done it personally. I've never really stopped doing Capoeira.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: just uh Stop going to the academy, training and putting in time and learning more. So my learning was on pause for about whew, traditionally a long time, probably 20, probably twenty years.
0: I mean, I can definitely feel that pain. I uh, it's been a minute since I was back in martial arts
1: myself. But I realized that Capoeira was such a revolution to my awareness, my experience, and my being that. I never really left capoeira. I just fused the essence of capoeira back into my dance. Mm. So, you know, using in my mind the traditional capoeira, how can I camouflage my capoeira within the realms of hip hop and house? And something amazing happened. I started seeing, you know, very similar movement. And as I started looking at different West African or traditional African movement, I started seeing a relationship, whether it was Caribbean or, uh, you know, West African or Senegalese versus Guinea, you know, versus Guinea, you know, Guinea. So it started orienting me into a universal kind of Afro, if you will, aesthetic, a pan-African awareness. And then, you know, I was just thirsty to study my history after that, from every facet that I could, musically, historically, mathematically, scientifically, you know, Yeah, especially, you know, cultural, anthropologically, you know, um, and it's been a journey ever since. You know, so dance is really, movement is really my spiritual practice. In capoeira is the, would be with the root. I would say I would be a Buddhist, a Buddhist, you know, I would say I will be a <laughs> <You know. laughs>
0: I mean, it makes yeah. sense. That's your vehicle to understand.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there it is.
0: Well, you, uh, you spoke of family earlier. Um, and I wanted to talk about a specific individual. I was, um, when I was talking with uh, uh, Michelle Bird McPhee a few episodes back um we got into talking about how her biggest inspiration and one of the the people that touched her lives her life uh the most impactful aside from her mother and her grandmother was um uh the dearly departed marjorie smart mm. and um you've spoken about the impact she's had in your life and in the dance world at large uh for those of the listeners who have and myself who have never had the pleasure of knowing her personally what are the important things about her that you'd like us to know?
1: Um, she was very generous with her love and passion for dance and for the culture. Mm-hmm. She was, you know, born into the Aetian mm-hmm. tradition, uh, afro for the latest, um and she was born you know born in Haiti, and they moved to United States when she was very young um, but I would say she's very passionate, mm. you know, just a very passionate soul you know, from the first time that I met her, we met very young, you know, seventeen, eighteen years old, so. oh wow, babies, yeah, you know, and you know we weren't really you know family or brother and sister. You know, we called each other God-brother, God-sister. You know, my, my children, they call her Auntie Marge. Oh, yeah. You know, so that's their godmother. Um, that that tight bond happened probably when I was about 19 and 20, when I totally just became a New Yorker and decided to just, you know, come here and make New York my roots. Mm-hmm. And soon, you know, just the lifestyle of New York at that time. Yeah, she was very instrumental in you know in that path for me. She was a friend and a sister, you know. Yeah. Um, very loyal. She meant what she said, and she said what she meant. She wasn't the type of person that could be in the be in the room and not be honest. You know, uh, <laughs>
0: that's a, I could always count on her
1: to. <laughs> Yeah, I can always count on her to be authentically herself. I mean, we all grew. Like, you know, I watched Marjorie evolve into the Lotus before my eyes. You know, mm. um, A.K.A. Large Marge. Yep. <laughs> from the hood. <laughs> you know, you know, her first attribute is <laughs> she saw, always saw herself as larger than life, but not too large that she couldn't, you know. Um, be generous or, you know, have empathy or passion, mm. and consideration for other people. Dance was, you know, for all of us, we always talked about this, was the thing that saved our life and the thing that helped us build our character. So uh, she was such an amazing character, you know. Um,
0: That's what so, I keep hearing from everyone who knew her. Yeah.
1: She didn't just teach. You know, she, she helped immerse you in the culture. She helped baptize you and initiate you in mm. and guide you through being authentically yourself in the process. Mm. You know, being true to who you are. You know, if you're here to be an opportunist, be true to who you are. <laughs> you know if you're here, yeah but don't tell don't say anything other than that like don't go to the world saying yeah you know i, I love the culture and you know and i'm gonna teach the no the values no you're mm-hmm. here because you like the dance mm-hmm. and you want to use it to 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 for opportunity to Yeah, be honest to enrich yourself okay? right and that's okay you know um But if if it really enriches you, then it's something that you always go back to and give back to and speak highly of. And at some point, you know, tell the story of your connection to the community. Yeah. Um, So that was important, you know. The path we walked for her was important. You know, it had value, what we did. And when she, you know, rest in paradise, my sister, and my brother Buddha as well, when when she passed, Mm. I felt like she, because one thing she was very vivid about was she wanted a celebration. Mm. She wanted a party. She wanted a gathering in her honor. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, when she passed, we dubbed it the Ascension. It's (laughs) only right. You know, and, uh, it's interesting. We all had the same experience. We kind of felt like she was there, and there were so many sisters in the room that were inspired by her. So they wore head wraps in her honor, and they wore a lot of her colors, like coral, and, and you know, very bright, you know, uh, color Caribbean colors. Very soft, you know. Yeah. And 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 we were looking around the room, and you know, at some point, man, it was like she was everywhere. You know, because everywhere you looked somebody reminded you of her or you kind of felt like it was her, you know? And, you know, not to get too deep into that, some amazing, you know, paranormal experiences that night that we all share. And I felt like she, uh, the people that crossed over doing this, you know, they're doing this there, you know? Yeah. Um, And so we honor that tradition by continuing it, with the, you know, with the ideas and the attributes that they held dear and important, you know, even my brother Tyrone, you know, Rest in Paradise, brother. Rest in
0: Paradise, you know? Tyrone yeah, Proctor. very,
1: very, uh, you know, speaking to him, you know, we were I had the honor of events with him all over, even in New York, you know, and, you know, he was always very honest. And, you know, very matter of fact, and he loved this culture and this dance, and he loved his people and he loved us. And he always honored us and he always was himself with us. We all, you know, it was very special man, mm. um, to have that connection with them. And Voodoo Ray, without Marjorie Voodoo Ray, there's no me. man. They, they, they taught me how to navigate the city. You know, uh, they moved unconditionally. Um, and, and they were, you know, vulnerable with me, you know, so they were my family. They still are my family. They live in me. And will always. And I carry that tradition forward. So, you know, we grew into this, man. You know, we never saw it coming. Mm -hmm.
0: How could you? You
1: know, we just saw what we wanted it to be. We also saw what it was and never lost sight of what it already was. Like, it's never been broken. It's never needed fixing. And sometimes there are things lost in translation. But one thing you'll always hear thats universal was the party. Mm. The place, the functional reality for the dance, <laughs> you know? The, you know, the, the whole point of your study, you know, of a language is to communicate with
0: it. Yeah, to take part. To interact.
1: To interact. And this culture is a living, breathing thing. It is not something that can just be written down and conceptualized. It's an interactive, living thing. Hmm spirit soul that's how we describe it it's soulful spiritual
0: i mean yeah words words can only do so much to convey it but the feeling and the feeling that i get like when you speak about it Mm. that's what connects and that's what makes sense Mm.
1: Only because you know it. True. <laughs> right? Well, I mean, yeah. Well, don't I like say, to well, think listen, I do. make your mind up. See? <laughs> see how you do that? Yeah. It's okay. I, I respect it, but you can only feel what you feel. True. And, you know, you don't always have to know conceptually or consciously why. Yeah. You know? You can know and not know why you know. You see? Yeah. Things have depth. And things sometimes go beyond the ability to describe. You do your best. Yeah. (laughs) But until you're immersed into the experience for yourself, it's really hard to describe.
0: Well, I I know I was getting misty when you were talking about the uh, the dearly departed. So I know that much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, man. Beautiful people I never met, but I'm grateful for, to them regardless because of what they contributed and what has been passed on to me yes. through them. Yes. So It vibrates in all of us. Absolutely. Um, so in that, in that sense, can you describe for us a time when you have felt truly powerful?
1: Hmm. Describe a time when I felt truly powerful
0: in whatever sense that means to you.
1: Um, I'd have to reflect on that for a second. That's not an easy <laughs> you know. You don't just you don't just you know pull out of your pocket and throw that at the wall, like no, of course you know, not. Gotta measure you got to calibrate. Yep, um, it's truly powerful. I no guess rush. I would say. I would guess I would say the first time that I, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, so when I was a kid, mm-hmm. um, me and my best friend at Café again, we used to, you know, back in my day, you know, you went to the roller rink. For those that do not know, that's the skate, roller skating rink. Mm. And when you were, when we were teenagers, that was like a teenage version of a club because you know the sound system in the roller rink was like a concert speaker system, you know, it was made you know, speakers everywhere, and you know, you still played the same music that you would hear to dance to, but you danced on roller skates, so it's technically roller dancing, right? Yeah, so as kids, we would do that, that's how we socialized like 13, 14, 15. You know, instead of going to the mall, you go to the roller rink on Friday and Saturday, a certain time, maybe about 7 30, 8 o'clock and the roller rink would close start closing between 10 30 and 11, you know? Mm-hmm. And there was always, you know, last skate, which was 10 30, and then you'd have a dance party happen in the center of the ring Because everyone's, you know, rolling around in the circle. So in the center of the roller circle, you would have a dance party for hey. the end of the night. And sometimes they would just do a party. Mm-hmm. on certain nights, so there was this night we would go there, and this one particular night, you know, we watched the B Street, like I told you, thousands, hundreds of thousands <laughs> of times. Yeah. Slow-mo, you know, you get the VHS, you push slow-mo. Oh, yeah. Each, ch- 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 just watch each move microscopically slow and go, look, he put his hand by his hip, okay, that's it. You know, ah. you thought you had, like, the secret key. <laughs> yeah. You know, so crack the I said, code. you know, so we were the video generation, you know, so... Um, this one night they had Lee they invited Lee down for Beach Street and this was on Friday nights because it wasn't a skate night it was just like a dance party night so all of the breakers and dancers from all wards was four wards you know north south east west and this was kind of like on the border of south Mm -hmm. into the township Mm -hmm. so all types of kids nationalities from all over came and at this time it was like early mid Early to mid 80s. So we're talking like 84, 85, mm. you know, from 83 to 85. So we partied, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Roller rinks, So I wasn't that good at skating, but you know, I was always breaking in the street at the time and the thing. So this one night, we practiced in my basement for hours, like I told you. So this one night, they invited Lee down to do a performance, but he brought down these two younger kids mm. that were vicious, but they were really young. Like, they were like nine years old, but for like nine, ten years old, they were amazing. They were doing like head spins, and windmills, and backspins, but they were doing basic things, but very well at yeah. those things. So we were like, okay. So you could tell they spent hours and hours doing those things. But Lee never danced. So we were like, what's up with Lee? So, you know, Trenton is the hood. So, you know, it's dudes like, you know, yo, what's up, Lee? You know, they calling them out, you know, yeah. in the slang of that time, you know. Yeah. Yo, what's up? You know, you know, you, you know, calling him out like, why you ain't showing improving, god, you know. <laughs> you know, calling him out and he's like room. So at one point he went in the DJ booth to like duck. So Aww. The kids kept going though, so we just gave the kids love and at that time me and my best friend Kafali at the time, I was like, look at him. So it was mad space over to the left side of the DJ booth. The crowd had gathered in the cypher by the right side of the door where the mm-hmm. DJ booth was. So I went over to the left, man. I was like, this is my song. So I went over to put, pl- I forget the song it was. I think it was uh, Renegades of Funk, Soul Sonic Force.
0: Yes. So I ran
1: over to the left. That's my was my joint at the time. And we had the record. So we played it all the time. So I went and did my little top rock step. Boom. Fell down and went into my drill head spin.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I and at that time, I practiced all the time, so I knew I could get off a good mm-hmm. six or seven, yeah, with no problem. And then just catch it and come back down, and we called it a scramble at that yeah. time. Scrambling in the footwork, they call it six step now, or, or four step, right? Four or six. And we just fall into the scramble and keeps you know scrambling in the circle and come up in the pose and <laughs> scoop the legs up in the next person. So I went over to the side. I just went up and I just spun so much was so much like excitement and just wanting to do it that I went over to the side with nobody watching thinking nobody saw me and must have did like 35, 45 spins. Like, I don't even know how many I did. I just closed my eyes and was like, what? (laughs) And I was like, wait a minute, I'm still going? And then I opened my eyes and I don't know why I did that. Uh, I opened my eyes, I opened them slowly. And, you know, at that time, we didn't really have a technique. You just kind of, like, wobbled a little bit. Yeah. And if you felt like, you you know. But my neck was strong because I did him over and over again. Yeah. So I just, and I just felt the crowd, like, yo! And I felt him coming over. And I was like, oh, snap. So then that was like my ego, but low side. Yeah. was like, oh, snap. So I just stopped. Boom. I put my hands down. Boom, boom. Came out of it. Just like routine. You always have an exit and entrance. Yep. Practice it millions of times, so I just boom boom, clean finish. Came up, crossed my arms, and everybody <laughs> had me and picked me up. And I was like, "Wait a minute, no, I don't, I don't want this attention. I just wanted to have my moment." Wait, wait, and all of a sudden it's like they marching me back over. Yo, you got a battle lead? Call him out. Uh, you from Trenton, right? Oh uh, like, no. yeah, from West Trenton. <laughs> He's like, "Yo, West Trenton, represent. What's up?" So they grab me over. And was like, "Oh snap!" Now in my head, I'm like, "I don't want this." Yeah. It's not what I did it for That's why I went over to the side to have my moment with my song and just take out this energy because I was like it was building up. I wanted to see Lee. But then Lee disappointed me, so I was like, oh, he's not the real in my head. Let me go get mine real quick and then come back and get a kiss some love so I could just get rid of this thirst I had, right? Yeah. Nah, why did I do that? (laughs) Everybody saw me. I didn't want it. I went over there, but they saw me. Dang. And it was a moment where I was even caught up in my own shock. Like, I couldn't believe I did that many (laughs) spins. I was like, what? (laughs) Of course, I could be exaggerating. I probably did about 25 to 30 spins, right? Because we're talking about a drill. Yeah. So I just coasted. It was like the momentum and the gravity of my position was so in alignment that I literally felt like the visual reference of watching something go down a drain. You know what I mean? That flow. Like I felt like I was in a funnel. Mm. And I was like, wait a minute. And I don't know how I did it. I don't know what I did. Because I did something different. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what I did. And I never did it like that again. So you know. But that was the time for it. Yeah, that's when I felt it beyond, I felt like I had a superpower at that moment i felt like i opened the door and nobody could teach me what happened to me Mm -hmm. you know like and i just had to keep figuring out and then i was just hungry for it and i had to have that feeling with every move now (laughs) you know what i mean i had to have that floating effect yeah man and then i understood what i saw and how it felt because I was trying to achieve it, and finally, okay, with head spins, I had it. Now I was going to say, spread it out to windows, spread it out to backspins. Mm-hmm. Find that funnel, and that's what I was saying in my head. It was just the language that was, you know, happening at the time. Because again, we didn't have no teachers, bro. Yeah, it was all watching and absorbing the image over and over again, over and over again, over and over again. F- rewind, do it again, thousands of thousands of times of watching footage over and over and over and over again. Trying to figure out how they did it by watching it, slowing it down. Oh no! And then have a eureka moment and try to go see if that would help. Sometimes you would get it. And sometimes you couldn't see it. You just couldn't figure it out. And sometimes you just stumbled into your own way through other movements. It was just an interesting adventure. Breaking then. Oh, b boy. Mm. Called it breaking back then. I grew up in Jersey. Yeah. You know we. When it was presented to us on the platform, it was called Breaking. Only when I went to New York, I got the real language.
0: You found that connection.
1: Yeah, and at that time, you know, it it, it was like a vibration that, like, an atom bomb happened, and it just vibrated and rippled everywhere. Mm -hmm. And once it was, once we had access to it, we could play it in our own houses. And once it was on the radio, we could turn to that station and then do it, like live the lifestyle. It was yeah. like we were doing it. And the older people weren't doing it. And younger people were watching us, following us. <laughs> and we were following them. <laughs> and it was a feeling. you just knew it. It's, 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 it's kind of interesting. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, the only thing I can think is like, that when I went down south, for example, they Mm -hmm. spoke different in a different dialect Mm -hmm. of English, more Southern twang to it. And being around them, I pick it up by accident, you know, and I'm playing with it now, but if something happens when you're around a language or dialect long enough, you start mimicking it and you figure out how to actually authentically express yourself through it. And so that was also a a clue to me when I started traveling, hearing music. Mm. Even melody you know? Yeah. All goes full circle. And with that said, um, we have enough time
0: for two more questions. So if you don't mind. No, no. Uh, So the penultimate is uh, if you could normalize one thing that you feel not enough people do, what would it be?
1: Okay. If I can normalize one thing that not enough people do, I would normalize um, movement as a culture, mm. as movement as therapeutic and healing in and of itself, and that by natural desire, mm. not by force, but just by natural awareness. Yeah, because I feel like today, especially. People are being taught how to move. <laughs> That's true. You feel me? And That's when true. you're a kid, from the time you bounce out of your mother, and she catches you, and she rocks you in her arms. Mm-hmm. Right? You, when you touch the ground, or any surface, your nervous system starts to twitch, jerk. Right? Yeah. And eventually, you turn your head, you look around, when you turn your head far enough, your shoulder's twisting, you roll over one day. And then you realize you have to turn your head left or right to breathe or lift your head up. Mm -hmm. And then when you lift your head up, your neck muscles get strong and then eventually you push up. And you arch your upper back and your mid-traps and then you start pressing into your triceps and eventually you bring your knees up. And Mm -hmm. then you start using your abs and then you sit on one side or you sit in the middle. And then you celebrate and you bounce and you rock and you bounce and you rock and you bounce and you rock. rock. (laughs) Natural. There's no tree giving instructions to another tree to be a tree. There's no ant giving instructions to another ant to be an ant. Mm -hmm. They're being what they were born to be by natural design. So we don't have to be taught how to be human, we're born human. With all of that, that entails. Next question.
0: <laughs> that's beautiful. Thank you. I always <laughs> have to like, just wait and see if there's any more in the chamber, you know, because.
1: <laughs> no, yeah. I'm trying to cut it. Yeah, I, I got you. Too. I got you. Because get
0: battery too. So we got no time. All right. Yeah. So, oh, well then maybe I shouldn't do this one, but I'm going to oh, do it that's anyway. Cool.
1: We got jet enough. People, enough time.
0: people get mad at me for this one, but. Um, uh oh. My last question to you,
1: uh,
0: take it however you want, is what is one question you've always wanted to be asked?
1: What is one question I've always wanted to be asked?
0: So while you think about that, um, it's just I would watch like interviews. I would listen to people talk and every so often I'd hear a question and I'd be like, man, I wish somebody would ask me that. I know exactly what I'd say or
1: Some people are like, "I wish people would ask me why, why, why do you do what you do? Why did you start doing what you did? Why do you still do what you do?"
0: And if someone would
1: you right
0: sorry, if someone were to ask you that, what would you say?
1: Because I love it. Mm. <laughs> See how simple <laughs> That's pure. That's pure. I love it. Because I genuinely love what I do. Mm. That's why I do it.
0: And it doesn't need to
1: be any more complex than that. So, my question to the audience and listeners is why? My question to you is why do you do what you do? You don't have to answer it. On that note, it was a pleasure, man. <laughs> the pleasure <laughs> was mine. Me,
0: I'm going to raise my Hopefully, drink.
1: Yeah, raise my drink too. Uh,
0: so typically I give a, a, a final, like traditional toast, but for today, because of your stories, I will toast to Marjorie Smart, to Voodoo yes. Ray, and to Tyrone Proctor. God bless you. Rest in paradise rest in
1: paradise kings and queens
0: mm. all right well thank you very much my guest today has been the amazing venerable Seku Hiro I'm Rob Celtic we are signing off we will endure we will grow and we will overcome God bless This episode of Drinking and Dance at the End of the World was written and produced by me, Rob Celtic. Music for this episode was provided by the one and only Feathers, that's F-T-H-R-S. You can find his new album, Floating, on Spotify and Bandcamp under Feathers. If you like what you heard and you want to support the show, visit us on Patreon at patreon.com drinkinganddance and donate for early episode releases, bonus episodes, personal shout-outs, and more. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to like, favorite, and follow on Spotify and Anchor. We'll see you next time.